All right, well, how many of you would say that evangelism is the easiest part of the Christian faith? Anyone? <laughs> I think if Evan was in here, he might have raised his hand, but <laughs> everyone knows Evan. But <laughs> other than that, um, yeah, I think most of us can say that evangelism is challenging, and we're, we're not alone. In a, in a recent survey performed by LifeWay, researchers found that Protestant churchgoers struggled the most with sharing the gospel when compared to other um, elements of, of discipleship. In, in that same survey, while 80% claimed that, that as Christians we have an obligation to share the gospel, 61% acknowledged that they had not shared the gospel within six months of, of taking that survey. But why? Why was there a, a, a discrepancy between believers who said they did have an obligation, but they didn't carry that obligation out? Well, I, I think there are, are a few reasons, but we'll, we'll focus on, on two of them. First, we stop evangelizing when we forget that the gospel is good news. Simply acknowledging that evangelism is our, our Christian duty, or obligation, is not enough. It's only when we're swept up into the good news of the gospel that we feel compelled to make that gospel known to others. And second, sharing the gospel is hard. It's, it really is painstaking work. There's a reason why in the New Testament, oftentimes the writers would describe Evangelism is work, is labor. Oftentimes when we go to share the gospel with other people, we, we're met with resistance, we're, we're met with anger, we're met with frustration. The gospel is a, a challenging message, and oftentimes we even face persecution because we share it with others. So this morning as we come to our text, we're going to focus on, on why the gospel is good news why the gospel is good news, and, and why people are resistant to the gospel. And then, and then briefly at the end, we're going to discuss how we can overcome some of that resistance in sharing the gospel. So for those of you who do not consider you, yourselves a, a follower of Christ, I want to say that you're, you're more than welcome to be a part of this conversation this morning. But we will be talking about how we as, as Christians, as the church, can go about sharing the gospel with non-Christians. All right, so if you brought your Bibles or your, your smartphones, feel free to open up to Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9, and 18 to 23. Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9, and 18 to 23. And if you weren't able to catch that, it'll be up right there on the screen. Verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. 
Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes in and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. It's fitting that as we come to the end of our, our kingdom parable series that we preach on the parable of the sower. Because the parable of the sower is arguably the, the most important parable in Scripture. In fact, in, in Mark 4.13, Jesus asks his disciples, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus is saying here that if, if we don't grasp the meaning of, of this one, then all of the other parables will fall on, on deaf ears. This, this parable is the key to understanding Jesus' teachings in the parable, other parables. So we're going to take special attention this morning to the parable of the sower. And we're going to do that by, by breaking it down into four major elements. The sower, the seed, the soils, and the harvest. So let's, let's tackle that first pair. The sower and the seed. Jesus begins the parable in verse 3 by saying, A sower went out to sow. Now this, this imagery would be especially familiar to people in the ancient world. Um, most of the ancient world was directly involved in agricultural production. This was most people's occupation. There weren't very many city dwellers in, in the ancient world. And by the Sea of Galilee, where, where Jesus is preaching these parables in Matthew 13, there would have been fields and, and crops and terraces everywhere. In fact, Galilee was, was known especially for its agricultural production. That's, that's kind of what put it on the map in the ancient world. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, said this of Galilee. Their soil is universally rich and fruitful and full of the plantations of trees of all sorts. Accordingly, it is all cultivated by its inhabitants, and no part of it lies idle. So in, in Galilee, at any point in time, <clears throat> you were likely to see laborers working in, in the fields. You were likely to see people reaping and, and sowing and, and laboring. And it's, it's actually not all that far-fetched to think that as Jesus is preaching these parables that people are sowing around him. And this is the environment in which Jesus is, is teaching. Now, the, the way these laborers would, would go about 
um, sowing the seed is, is through the broadcast method. This is, I'm sure Tom Levine might know this, but this is where we get um, television broadcasts and radio broadcasts, right? So what the sower would do is they would sling a, a bag of seed over their shoulders and they would go through the fields. And as they went through the fields, they would scatter the seed all about. And oftentimes the seed would kind of fall indiscriminately. It would land all over the place. And, and that's why we see in our text that seed lands on, on the path. It lands on hard soil. It lands on rocky soil. It lands on thorny soil. And it lands on, on good soil. So Jesus is taking this imagery of, of the sower and the seed, and he gives it a spiritual reality in verse 19. He says, um, the one who sows is sowing the word of the kingdom. So from context, we know that Jesus is, is first and foremost the sower of the word. That's what he's doing here in verses 2 through 3 when he comes and uh, it, it says, great crowds gathered about him and he told them many things in parables. That's, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's sowing the seed. That's, that's what his mission was, to proclaim the good news of the gospel and to make it known to the world. In Matthew 9.35, just, just before our passage here, we're told that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. It's what Jesus did. But what's amazing is Jesus does not stop there. This is not a work that ends in his, in his earthly ministry. Jesus begins to invite other people into this work. He patches he passes off the torch of his earthly ministry to the church. This is what Jesus says two verses later in, in Matthew 13 to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is, is inviting the church to be a part of, of this process of, of sowing and, and reaping the gospel in the world. One of, one of my favorite examples of this is found in, in the book of Acts. If you recall, the, the first New Testament church was in Jerusalem, and it was in Jerusalem because of what had happened at Pentecost. But not long after, the, the church started to face persecution from Saul, who later became Paul. And as, as the church faced persecution, they began to flee from Jerusalem and, and spread out through all the Mediterranean world. And this is how scripture describes this. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Did you guys catch that? Wherever the church went, the gospel went. The word, it was, the word is bound up with the work of the church. That's, that's how the church hears, the, or that's how the world hears the gospel. That's how they hear the good news. The church is the vesicle, the vessel, the vehicle for that to happen. So we should be surprised when we hear that, that 61% of Christian churchgoers um, don't regularly share the gospel because that's, that's commission that we've been given in, in Scripture. So at this point, you, you might be 
thinking to yourself, I, I appreciate the gospel. I, I love the gospel. The gospel's valuable to me. But why should I feel compelled to make it a priority in my life? Why, why should I feel compelled to, to make it a priority to share the good news with other people? Why should I center my life around making Jesus known through his gospel message? I'll give you um, two, two quick arguments, and, and hopefully that'll, that'll show you why. First, the gospel is good news. That's literally what the Greek word for gospel, euangelion, I know it's kind of a, a funny word, but euangelion, that's what it means, good news. The gospel message that says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All deserve wrath and, and, and hell. There's no man who stands right before God. No, no person who stands right before God because of, because of their actions and because of their works. But God in his, in his mercy and in his grace sends his son to die for us. His son dies in our place and, and takes that wrath, takes that hell that we deserve. So when we believe in God, when, when we believe in the gospel, we, we are saved we believe in the name of Jesus, we're, we're reconciled back to God. We're restored to relationship with God. There's so much in, in this gospel message of, of salvation. It's, it's not just getting to heaven. We're able to have relationship with God and, and to experience his fellowship. We're able to praise him for who he is. We get to treasure Jesus because of the gospel. That's, that's the good news for us this morning. I'm convinced that if, if this doesn't sound like good news to us this morning, then we haven't grasped the gravity of our sin. We don't understand where we spiritually are without Christ. And if this doesn't sound like good news to us, I, I don't think we've grasped the glory of God's grace, how much he has lavished up on us, how much he has exhausted himself and given himself up for us so that we can spend our lives in relationship with him. I don't think that we've truly experienced fellowship with God if, if, if we don't think that this is good news. But if this is good news for us and it's, it's swept us up in joy and thankfulness and, and awe and we're amazed by this news, we're compelled to share it. This is what we do as, as people. We, we share what excites us. I mean, the, the whole idea of social media is predicated on this idea, Right? I mean, we have Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter because we want to tell people things that excite us. This is why we have baby announcements and wedding announcements and, and graduation announcements. It's, it's not just because of the, the presents and the money that we get, which I know for some of us may be the motivation in setting these things out, but <laughs> I might have been guilty at one point or another for that. But um, it's because we were made to share good news we were made for it. That's why we feel compelled to tell others. Second, the gospel is the only way to God. How many of you have heard the expression, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but don't shove your beliefs or your religion down my throat, right? I mean, it's a pretty common expression in our culture. Here's where I, where I think that comes from. Well, we, we live in a, a pluralistic society, and in a pluralistic society, truth is often declared by the majority to be relative. 
This is why we hear expressions like, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Or maybe we hear something like, that's my truth, not your truth. Or even, you do you, I do me, right? That's why we hear these types of expressions. Because of this, the, the gospel is often set aside as just one philosophy, one moral system, one way of thinking. But there's, there's an issue with that because the gospel is, is not just a moral system or a, a philosophy. It's a proclamation that makes claims about all of reality. It makes claims about every single person. So it's either the claims that it makes is either true of everyone or it's, it's true of no one. One of, the, one of the claims that the gospel makes is that <clears throat> Jesus is, is the only way to salvation. Listen to what Peter says about Jesus in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Because this is true, because this is what we believe is, is the church, because we believe that we have the only message of the of salvation, because we believe that we have the only message that reconciles people back to God. It would be unloving for us to, to withhold that from other people, right? I mean, if we had the cure to one of our loved one's illnesses, it would be cruel of us to, to withhold that from them, right? So how much more so when we have the power of the gospel, the, the way for the world to be reconciled to God, how much more would, would that be cruel to withhold it, to keep it to ourselves, right? The gospel is, is a proclamation of, of good news that we, we make known to the world so that they can be saved. That This is our motivation. We share the gospel with others because we love them and, and we want them to see the good news. We want to invite them in to rejoice with us, to experience the love of Christ. But when this, this motivation um, is at the forefront of our mind, I, I think there are times where this can become discouraging for us. I think that we can have a love for people. We, we want them to seem excited, <clears throat> but the, the good news doesn't land. But I, I think we should take heart because our, our passage here, the parable of the sower, tells us that this is, this is not surprising. This is something that happens. But I don't think it stops there. I think it gives us ways in which we can go about making the gospel known, even to people who have been resistant to the gospel. This leads us to the, the second pair of elements in our parable, the soil, excuse me, the soils and the harvest. In the parable of the sower, Jesus describes four types of soil. And each of these soils are, are likened or, or compared to different types of heart dispositions towards the gospel. Jesus does this so that we can identify whether we have really received the truth of the gospel and whether the world that we're preaching the gospel to has really received it. The parable of the sower is, is kind of like a lens into a spiritual reality. It gives us a way to, to understand and engage our hearts, engage those who have claimed to accept the gospel. So it's, it's, it's a lens for us. So let's start with the, the first type of soil this morning, the path. In verse 4, Jesus says, And as he sowed, 
Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. In ancient Israel, it was, it was common practice um, that the sower would go about, and as he scattered seed, um, he would come back through the field, and he would bury the seed with a plow. And as he did this, um, oftentimes he would scatter seed on the path. But the reason why he wouldn't plow the path is because the paths were often built up above the fields. In Israel, there's, there's rocks everywhere. I don't know if anyone's been there or seen pictures, but it's, it's a rocky place. And so as, as people would go and, and harvest, as they would go and, and grab the fruits of, of their crops, every year there would be more and more rock exposed. So these rocks would be placed in these pathways. And it probably goes without saying, but these places were very unsuitable for seed. There was, there was no soil. The seed that landed there was left exposed. And because it was exposed, oftentimes <clears throat> birds would come in and, and they would take the seed and devour it. That's the reason that we have scarecrows, right? To scare away birds from devastating crops and, and taking away seed. Now, Jesus takes this imagery and he gives it a spiritual reality in verse 19. Here he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Jesus is saying that when we see someone that's unresponsive to the gospel, there's something going on. There's, there's more than meets the eye. There's, there's a heart issue there. The heart has become so hard and so calloused that the word of God cannot penetrate it. It, it stays at the surface, and it remains exposed and can be taken away. Even though the, the person hears the gospel, they don't understand it. And, and this is when our, our verse says the devil comes and, and takes it away from them. So I'll, I'll give you ex an example of how this plays out practically. This is not the only way, but it's, it's a way. Oftentimes when we tell someone about the gospel, instead of hearing the truth of God's grace, they end up hearing rules and obligations that they need to perform to be right with God. It's, it's actually kind of surprising sometimes. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but hard hearts have a, a way of turning the gospel of freedom into a message of slavery. Hard hearts are disposed to this kind of thing. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, was a famous minister at Westminster Chapel, and he did a lot of evangelism and, and preaching, and he says this about his experience with, with sharing the gospel with hard hearts. To make it quite practical, I have a very simple test. After I have explained the way of Christ to somebody, I say, now are you ready to say that you are a Christian? And they hesitate. And then I say, what's the matter? Why are you hesitating? And so often people say, I don't feel like I'm good enough yet. I don't think I'm ready to say I'm a Christian now. And at once, I know that I have been wasting my breath. They are still thinking in terms of themselves. How can I put it plainly? It doesn't matter if you've almost entered into the depths of hell. It does not matter if you are guilty of murder as well as every other vile sin. It does not matter from the standpoint of being justified before God at all. 
you are no more hopeless than the most moral and respectable person in the world. So the the first response to the gospel in our parable is is hard-heartedness. Second, the the rocky soil. In verses 5 to 6, Jesus says, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Throughout Galilee, there there were places where um, limestone and and volcanic rock were were really dense, and it was challenging to find deep soil. When When the plow went through these areas, oftentimes they would bury the seed, but there would only be a thin layer of, of soil sitting on top of, of rock. Because of this, there was, there was nowhere for the plant to grow downward. And instead of taking root, it ended up shooting upward. And this is how farmers often knew that they had sown a bad crop, that it was going to be a bad season. There wasn't going to be a, a harvest. Because what would happen is, as the sun came up, the sun would draw out all of the moisture in that thin layer of soil, and the plant would ultimately wither and, and be scorched by the sun. Now Jesus compares this soil in, in verses 20 to 21 to the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. It's unfortunate, but I, I think this happens pretty frequently within the church. The gospel penetrates the heart and it begins to grow, but it doesn't take root. Here's why I think this happens. Oftentimes when when people hear the gospel, they they only hear it in part. They hear good news, but it's it's the wrong news. The, the, The good news becomes confused with a false message that says God is going to solve all of the problems in my life And God is going to make my life easier. And that's just not the gospel. There's great news in the gospel that God oftentimes promises us the opposite. Oftentimes he promises us trouble and tribulation. So when when these types of people experience trouble and tribulation, they abandon the gospel. Because the gospel didn't deliver what they thought it was going to deliver. It didn't meet up. Right? And so they ended up looking for something else to find comfort and joy in. When suffering came, they, they abandoned the gospel and they proved that it wasn't Christ that they wanted. It was just what they thought Christ could offer them. There's, there's a big difference there. You know, I, I think as, as the church, trials and, and tribulation and, and persecution can be the, the best thing for us, because these types of things have a way of exposing our hearts. They can open our hearts so that we can see whether we're tr- really trusting in the gospel. A lot of times, trials and tribulations um, are, are a way of, of dividing believers from unbelievers. I, th- I think this is why James could say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So for the unbeliever, trials end up crushing them and, and pushing them away from the gospel. But, but for believers, trials strengthen our faith. They, they bolster our faith. It's like what James says. It, it makes our faith mature and complete, not lacking anything. Third, the, the thorny soil. In, in verse 5, Jesus says, Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Much of Israel was, was filled with, with tough, thorny bushes, and it, it is filled with tough, thorny bushes still. Um, what's interesting is the word that's used here, um, that's translated as, as thorns, is the same word that is used to describe the crown of thorns that's, that's placed on Jesus' head. These, these thorns were, were everywhere throughout Israel. And it probably goes without saying, but, but these thorns would, would compete for sun and, and in soil and, and nutrients, and oftentimes they would choke out the crop. The thorns caused a, a lot of issues in the ancient world for harvests. Now, Jesus, Jesus takes this, this imagery, and in verse 22, he says this, The one who hears the word... But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The, the phrase here, cares of the world, can also be translated cares of, of this age or, or cares of, of life. The people who are obsessed with the cares of this age or the cares of this life or, or wealth or the riches that this, this world has to offer are the type of people that James describes as, as double-minded they understand at least in part what is offered to them in the gospel. But they fail to live with an eternal perspective. They acknowledge the truth of the gospel, but they continue to live as if this life is the only thing that can offer them any value. So they end up pursuing money and, and entertainment and riches and, and ease and possessions and, and power rather than God. Or if they're bold, they try to pursue both at the same time. Remember, Jesus himself told us that we cannot serve God and money because we'll end up loving one and despising the other. It's, it's impossible for us to be obedient to two masters and two lords. So let me, let me clarify. There's nothing wrong with, with possessions and money and, and power. These are things that God gives us as a gift. And we can use them to glorify God and to expand the kingdom. There's, there's amazing stories of people giving all that they have to make the gospel known to people. So that's, that's not the issue here. The issue is, what do we seek first? If we seek money and, and possessions and power, we'll choke out the word of the gospel. It won't be able to grow within us. But if we pursue the kingdom first, if we pursue Christ first, if we pursue the gospel first, God will provide for us as, as we have need. This is what God promises us in his word. God takes care of our needs as, as we pursue his kingdom. Last, the good soil. In verse 8, Jesus says, Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty some 30. This is what a, 
what would have been the attention getter in, in Jesus' parable. It's not something that maybe we would grasp because we're not an agricultural um, group of people, or most of us anyway. Um, but this would have, would have been the attention getter. Harvests that were 30, 60, and 100-fold were, were rare, and they were evident signs of God's blessing. For example, in Genesis 26.2, it says, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. Now, Jesus compares this kind of soil in, in verse 23 to the one who hears the word and understands it and bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. What Jesus is getting at here is that when we accept the gospel, it's nothing short of a, a work of God. It's, it's nothing short of God's blessing on us. Our, our hearts are by nature thorny and rocky and resistant to the gospel. I think if we stopped and, and thought even for a second, we would probably all acknowledge that that we regularly have resistance to the truth. For example, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The, the, the depths of our depravity are, are so deep that we can't even grasp it. Matthew 15.19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, murder adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, Slander. This is, this is what's amazing about God's grace, right? When the gospel is preached, he, he opens our hearts to receive his word. God takes the initiative to remove the rock and the thorns in our heart. He takes the initiative to plow the soil of our hearts so that we would receive the word. So when we're responsive, when we're responsive to the gospel, it's, it's by God's Grace. It's a, it's a gift to us and a, a blessing. One of the, the greatest prophecies in the Old Testament is found in Ezekiel 36, <clears throat> 26. Looking forward to the, the new covenant, God declares, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is, this is the work of God. So when we believe the gospel and, and bear fruit in our lives, we, we should praise God because he has done a work in us. He has blessed us to receive his word. And this isn't a work. This isn't something that we've done to earn it. It's, it's by grace. So this, this brings us kind of to the end of our discussion um, of the soils. But before we wrap up, let me give you three ways that we can go about overcoming Resistant soil. Overcoming resistant soil. First, we meet others where they're at. This really is the gospel message, right? I mean, Christ came to us. He dwelt among us. He, he took on flesh. He met us in our condition where we were at. Even though he never sinned, he dwelt among a, a sinful people he took on our condition without compromising to it, right? But Christ didn't stop there. He also gave himself up for us so that we can be taken out of our condition. That's what the, the gospel does. Christ takes us out of our condition. So when God places shallow, hard-hearted, double-minded people 
into our lives, we meet them where they're at. We meet them where they're at, and, and we work through all of the barriers that are holding them back from trusting in the gospel. We don't just preach the gospel and, and run and hope for the best. We meet people in their brokenness, in their condition, and, and we do all that we can to make known the gospel to them. We give ourselves up like Christ gave himself up to make the gospel known. Second, we maintain confidence in the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I think there's, there's always a temptation when we, when we go to share the gospel with others that we try to make the gospel more appealing to them, right? We try to add things to the gospel. We try to make the gospel seem more shiny and, and attractive to get people's attention. But the only issue is that a, a partial gospel is a powerless gospel. The power of salvation is in the gospel alone, and when we start to add things to the gospel, we ultimately take away. I, I think that um, there is a, a partial gospel going around in our, our culture. It's, it's a pretty predominant one, and, and what it does is it offers Jesus and prosperity. But the issue is, that's again, that's a false gospel. And this gospel aims to target thorny soil. But I, I think, again, that we should be careful. We should not try to change soil. We should not try to change the message for that, that soil to receive it. We should be faithful to the gospel and trust that God will bring his power to change hearts. Listen to what uh, Matt Chandler, he's the, the president of Acts 29, which is a, a collection of churches that we're a part of. Listen to what he says about changing the gospel. If we confuse the gospel with response to the gospel, we will drift from what keeps the gospel on the ground, what makes it clear and, and personal. And the next thing we know, we will be doing a bunch of different things that actually obscure the gospel, not reveal it. So again, we, we should have confidence in the power of the gospel. We keep preaching it. Even if we meet resistance, we keep preaching it. We don't need to change the gospel. And last, we pray that God would open hearts. When, when we believe that God alone has the power to open hearts, we should be overwhelmed by his grace. When he takes the initiative to open our hearts and make us receptive to the gospel, we should understand that this is not a work of our doing. This is God's goodness to us. And without it, we too would be shallow, double-minded, hard-hearted people. Again, that's who we are by nature. And it's only by God's grace that we are not. So when we encounter people who are, I, I think we should pray fervently that God would change their heart. We should pray fervently that, that God would open their heart and make them receptive to the gospel. And I, I think that we should approach other people in, in humility, right? I mean, if there's nothing that we can claim of ourselves, if, if we can't claim that we've opened our own heart, then, then how can we come to others where that hasn't happened and, and um, make ourselves proud over these people, right? This is the, um, I, I think this teaching really levels the playing field and, and puts us on equal ground so that we can really love people and, and be humble in their midst. So in wrapping up this morning, I, 
I want to remind us that we don't preach the gospel to others just because it's our obligation. I mean, it, it is our obligation, but it's not just that. The gospel is, is good news. We want, to, we want to preach the good news to other people. We want them to see the love of God. We want them to experience relationship with God. That's, that's why we share the good news. The gospel is the only message that can save us. The gospel is the only message that can bring hope to a, a perishing world. So I encourage you guys, as, as we go out this week, be used by God to bring salvation to the world. Be used by God to be bold and, and to share the good news of, of Jesus to our neighbors and, and to our city and, and to our world and to our coworkers and to our family and wherever God has placed us. Make, make the gospel known. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that in, in the good news of the gospel that we are finally reconciled to you, God. God, rather than being enemies with you, Lord, we are, we are now friends. We get to experience all of who you are, God. We get to experience your grace and your truth and your your love and your justice and your mercy and, and all that you are, God, because of your gospel. Lord, we, we pray that as, as we go out from here that you would make people in our lives receptive to the gospel. God, and that you would make us bold to preach it. We pray that you would prepare the way, that you would, stop, that you would start removing thorns and, and rocks and, and thistles and all that holds people back from receiving the word. We pray that you would plow the seed into people's hearts, God, and make it grow and be fruitful. We pray that people would respond with worship and praise to you, that they would bear fruit in their lives. God, in this morning, as, as we reflect on our own hearts, Pray that you would reveal to us where we've believed the lie, God. Where are we believing in a, a partial gospel? Where are we believing in the deceitfulness of riches or the things of this age that try to entice us and distract us from you? God, reveal to us and allow us to repent and, and turn to you. Lord, help us to, to understand the gospel more and more as, as we go about our, our life. We pray these things in your name.